0: Okay, last but not least, we have Pietro Perona. And he's a colleague of mine from AWS and also the Alan E. Puck Professor of Electrical Engineering and Computation and Neural Systems with the California Institute of Technology. Pietro, please come on stage. Uh, thank you. Power. Uh, good evening, and thank you, Michelle. Thank you for inviting me. Um, So, I've been spending um, about 30 years in AI, uh, starting with computer vision, and uh, for most of my life, i blissfully lived in the ivory tower of Caltech. Uh, My discipline was utterly useless. It was lots of dreams and hopes, but uh, utterly useless. And in the last five years, instead, you've seen AI come on the stage. It has started being useful. And... um, and so I've got involved with uh, Amazon, helping bring AI to, to the cloud. And also, um, I've re- realized that I have to broaden my perspective from the purely technical uh, point of view of solving technical problems, to the fact that now what I do is reaching society, it's affecting the life of people, and so I have to be concerned and I have to be uh, mindful of how, um, how my Craft is is affecting the world. And so this is a completely new life for me. Very interesting. Lots of thinking, lots of talking to to people who are different from uh, me in in different ways. Uh, And so I will share some thoughts with you tonight. Doesn't exhaust the topic, but I hope it's useful. So it's about machine learning in society, bias, fairness, and explainability. So in the last uh, three or four years, we've seen um, a dramatic improvement in the quality of uh, AI products. And I've seen at least three examples of um, situations where what we do uh, is exceeding the ability of human experts. And so I have a few examples here. So the game of Go, as you know, um, board games are now uh, (laughs) already the territory of machines more than people. Uh, medical diagnosis is see pictures of skin uh, lesions, and I'll, I'll go deeper there. But in dermatology, there is one paper showing that you can do, a machine can do better than humans. Classification of animals and plants. If you can download the app called iNaturalist, where my students built a computer vision system that helps you recognize about 40 to 50,000 species of plants and animals. And again, no human can possibly do it. Then we have autonomous driving, not as good as human, but you know lots of uh, hope to get there. smart speakers already very useful, again, not as good as humans, but uh, but working hard to get there so so there is a lot of achievement and a lot of promise uh, going forward. now, how did we, did we get there? I put a question mark near the eye of ai i 'm not sure we have intelligence yet, and i 'll show it to you in a moment, uh, but certainly as a An aspirational goal, it's there. And there are three legs to the stool. Uh, One is neuroscience that influenced the design of deep networks, and you know about deep networks. Of course, Moore's law that has given us GPUs that are are powering our our infrastructure. And on the right-hand side, it's large annotated data sets that were made possible by search engines and by Amazon Mechanical Turk, which was this very visionary project that Amazon ran about 10 years ago. And, uh, and it allowed to create the data sets that nowadays we all use for, for um, annotating our, um, our uh, for, for training our algorithms. And Amazon is present in each one of these, and so of course we have computation and storage, we have SageMaker, and we have uh, Ground Truth, of which I had the privilege of being involved with uh, last year, it deployed about 12 months ago, and it allows you to annotate very large data sets. Now, why can machines be better than humans why can we expect a lot from machines and there are many reasons and they're not all of them subtle some of them are pretty obvious so one is uh, almost cheating um, when you drive a car well you know we're born as predators and manipulators our eyes are pointing forward we don't have a good peripheral visual system we're not like horses and rabbits and so we have to retrofit the car with rear view mirrors in all positions to, and cameras and so on to back up it's terrible Well, if you have an autonomous vehicle, this is a Caltech vehicle that participated in the DARPA Grand Challenge uh, 15 years ago. Uh, You can put sensors, but as many as you want, wherever you want. It's obvious that uh, machines have an advantage there. Um, Another advantage, this is my son learning how to drive last year. And how does he learn? Well, you know, by practicing. I tell him something, but then I, I let him do. And if he, you know, touch wood hasn't yet, if he has an accident, he will learn the hard way. Oh, I should have stopped a little bit earlier. I should have paid attention all of that So this is him learning now for machines. It's completely different. It scales much better This is from an accident that happened in autonomous driving a couple of years ago and within days all of the competitors in the industry had footage of uh, of what the vehicle saw before hitting the uh, pedestrian and uh, Uh, There is a big analysis and the whole fleet not only within the same company But across the industry is benefiting from information that of course collected in a tragic way But uh, when something bad happens, you can benefit from it in a a very scalable way So that's another unfair advantage of machines, but for humans we learn piecemeal one at a time And there is no way that if I have a kadasana today my uncle in Italy will drive better tomorrow, okay now Yes, some people are laughing about Italian driving. I, I come from the north where we are very careful. Uh, so this is the skin lesion paper I was telling you about. And here is another big advantage of machines, which is they are very much more easy than humans to benchmark. Here you see the blue curve is what the algorithm does. You have specificity and sensitivity. Specificity is how many do you, um, of, the, you know, of the calls you make for Le- for taking of the lesion, how many are truly something that was cancerous? Sensitivities, how many of the cancerous ones will you detect? As you can see, the doctors and the machine are doing very well. They're very close to the top right corner. However, uh, we can figure out the, perfor- the performance of the machine easily. We just feed images and we measure. For each one of the red dots, which are the doctors that were tested, it's, it's a piece of work, right? It's, uh, imagine getting some busy doctor into an office and asking them to to click on images and chances are that your dermatology is certainly not mine I ask him they don't get benchmarked so when we go in what is the trade-off between sensitivity and, and specificity I don't know right and each one of us may have different needs so there are two lessons from here one is machines are easy to benchmark so you know what you get while humans are humans and second one is In principle, you can tune a machine to match your need between risk-taking and wanting to get some piece of skin taken off your body. So uh, that's another advantage of machines with respect to humans. Now, machines also have challenges where you clearly see that humans are are still uh, better. And so we shouldn't be too cocky. Uh, So one is the efficiency of learning. Each one of the examples I gave you requires an enormous amount of training examples. My back of envelope calculation in the uh, situations I've been involved with is is about hundredfold more training images for a machine than for an equivalent human to achieve the same level of proficiency. So it's a lot. Now, luckily, we have huge training sets. And for example, in dermatology, you could beat the humans, but um, it's very expensive. So that's... um, That's one uh, drawback. Second one is the ability to generalize. So here you see three images I took from the web and I fed them into a popular online um, image recognition algorithm that gave me a bunch of labels. And you can see that the algorithm is doing great, right? Read all the labels, they all reflect well what is there in the image, it's doing a great job. Unfortunately, I know how it's built, so I I can cheat it, I can fool it, and um, and here is what happens if I go and pick pictures of cows on the beach which is not a common place where you see cows and here the algorithm is in trouble so what happened well what happened is that the algorithm is learning everything about those pictures not just a cow it doesn't know that there is a cow there it just knows there is some bunch of texture that people happen to get excited and call cow and now I change the texture around and things are going south Okay, so I think a couple of the previous speakers pointed this out when you stay within the domain when you did a training Usually you're doing well because you have lots of images to train and test and you can benchmark so you you know you you get some confidence, but if you go outside of the domain then All bets are off and so you need to be very careful and machines don't uh, don't generalize well, okay? Last one, I want to point out there are some more, a theory of mind, you know, here I stopped because I saw an elk and I stopped also because I was interested in the elk, but also because I knew that the elk is a somewhat uh, touchy uh, animal, I don't want to get too close, I want to let him move on, so I'm watching his body language and as soon as I feel like he's calm and not paying attention to me, I will drive behind him. Uh, that's not true for today autonomous uh, vehicles. They don't have a theory of mind. And so this absence of social ability is a problem on which the car driving companies are working. Okay? So uh, thinking of other things out there as beings who have plans and desires and wishes and can socialize with us rather than just as obstacles is a key step to, to being successful. So, just to summarize, these are, I'll skip it because I made the point, these are the advantages of, of uh, machines on the left and humans on the, on the right. Now, we get to the meat of the, of the story. <clears throat> As we bring machines into society, machines more and more interact with humans. So, it's not just uh, about advertising uh, some product on, our, on a web page, it's truly about dealing with humans in fairly sophisticated and touchy uh, situations. And we saw uh, uses in medicine uh, just a moment ago. And so what do we ask from machines when they interact with us? Okay, it's vital that they are successful in interacting with us because we are so valuable. And so certainly they have to be safe. That's number one, always safe. They have to be useful, do something that we're willing to pay for. But then also they have to be friendly, which means considerate, respectful, acknowledge our feelings, be aware of the emotional and social situation, and trustworthy, namely, what they promise to do to do they have to deliver, and we have to be able to look under the inside the box and gain confidence that what uh, the machine is doing is something that is going to end up in something that we that we consider uh, good, so we have to have trust in the machine to, be, to allow it to operate and to interact with us. And if you think, uh, what I listed here is four properties that are being taught to young children when they go to the kindergarten. You know, the first two years, 98% of the time is you know, safe, don't push, don't bite, uh, be useful, you know, help clean the classroom, help your parents at home, be friendly, so be aware of uh, other people's emotions, uh, you know, don't, uh, don't insult your friends, don't call them names, Trustworthy, if you're engaging a job in something, explain what you're going to do, explain how it's going to end up, demonstrate it, you know, how to, how to carry it out and all of that. Okay. So this is what we want. And if we, um, so what's the, the reason to bring machines into contact with humans? Well, first of all, the two things that come to mind every, uh, every time are, you know, they're inexpensive, they're scalable, they can do a lot of work, so that we heard before, they don't fall asleep and all of that. Uh, but um, it turns out that those two last properties of being friendly and trustworthy are also something that machines can help achieve in society so we have to be aware that society is not perfect and often the reason to bring a machine into the picture is to improve how society treats individuals and we saw the case of uh, of uh, medicine epilepsy Um, uh, the machine is helping avoid unnecessary surgery on kids and so on, avoid mistakes, all of those things. So, um, I want first to survey briefly failures, a few failures of society as it is, when it's manned by people, as it were, uh, so that it gives us a little bit of a baseline on where we bring machines, what are we trying to do. So, uh, you know, this was in the LA Times a week ago, um, a case um, where twins, arrive at the border, file for um, asylum, one is taken in, one is sent back. You know, what happened, nobody knows, but that's very uh, annoying, to say the least. Uh, Now, it's not that there are bad people there in the bureaucracy, and so I was digging through the literature. There is this nice article in The Atlantic uh, about how bureaucracy works, and why do bureaucrats don't care? Well, you know, somebody went behind the lines and worked in a... Um, in an office helping people uh, get uh, support from the government and realize that yeah, the bureaucrats look always uh, somewhat pitiless and um, rule following, but truly they're put in front of very difficult situations. There are too many rules, they're ambiguous, you have to work out some solution, and the cases in front of you are complicated and there is a lot of work to be done sometimes and you don't have the time to do it. So typical situations where you think, oh, you know, all of us in the room think machines would probably be able to help in some some form or another. Sometimes humans are devious on purpose, so this is one famous case, and it's still haunting us today. Uh, so everybody would agree on what the rules for making districts should be, namely neighbors should vote with neighbors, so the boundaries should be fairly uh, short and, and the districts compact, but as soon as you put somebody in charge, that person will have a whole set of uh, ideas that go beyond that. So there's another uh, problem in society that people w- will be devious, and it's very difficult to monitor or benchmark their their actions or keep them in check. Another one is genuine mistakes. So this is a sad story of this lady who was assaulted. She found she pointed to a person in a police lineup. It turned out it was the wrong person. But this was it took 20 years of him being in jail before. It came out, and when this was clarified, she was of course very sorry. She went to him. They formed a team to go around the country and proselytize about how police lineup should be carried out. So the story ends very well, but it's clearly uh, a problem. And again, it's not that she was um, trying to frame someone. It's just that the human brain is not very good at um, uh, at doing this task. Okay, and so. Humans are sometimes overly confident, um, but uh, there are experiments that show that, you know, at 4% false match rate, you still have maybe only 30% of correct match rate. So it's a very faulty system. And on top of that, the signal in your brain is strongly biased, and we saw about uh, bias just a moment ago uh, in the pediatrics talk. And here are researchers at Stanford who test African Americans and European Americans in recognizing the faces of individuals of the same or the other ethnic background. And so the top plots show you that there are big differences in the performance, uh, namely, you're much better at recognizing people that belong to your group than other groups. And the bottom plots show you that the signal in the brain while you engage in this task is very different depending on whether you look at somebody who belongs to your group or not. So it's truly. Nothing to do with bad will or, or or being nasty, but it has to do with the fact that simply you don't have enough training sometimes. Okay, so so humans are, are um, have the same problems as a machine If you don't train them enough, they don't do well. Uh, and you can go to this website uh, implicit.harvard.edu to me- measure your implicit biases, and you will be humbled by. The fact that you think you have no bias at all, you know, no racial bias, no sex bias, and so on, and in fact, uh, it may turn out that you do, and so this is data from uh, tens of thousands of people who take the test, and you see that many people associate females with liberal arts, and males with science, that's the pink stripes. Many people have the opposite, but fewer bias, and the only unbiased people are about 20%, right, so you have Uh, Only 20% of the population is unbiased somehow in this particular task. um, It makes you worried. So this is the picture of the society we live in. It's full of mistakes, biases, uh, somewhat trickery sometimes. And our job as people who build AI is to help make the world a better place. That's what engineers want to do. And, you know, what do we do? How do we come in? And how do we help and what are the targets so of course um, we all want to have a just society and the Statue of Justice always has these scales you know even uh, weights on both sides and so uh, that's a very important thing and so there would be that maybe human justices human doctors and so on could be helped by uh, by our uh, creators our creations AI and and, uh, data analysis and all of that and so now, one place that I think um, is very clear, there is not even AI here, but one place where I can make it very crisp is uh, this example. Um, on top, you have the districts in North Carolina drawn by humans, and there is gerrymandering galore, like to our eyes, it's clear. On the bottom, it's an algorithm that draws districts by minimizing the length of the boundaries. Now, if you take people from any party, you put them around the table, and you have a discussion and you ask them, so you take away the label North Carolina. You say, well, this is a state. Now, which one is the right way to draw districts? The discussion will last three minutes, probably. They will all agree, okay, this, you know, of course, the bottom one is the right one. So so this is the case in which you see exactly where you draw the boundary between human and machine um, domain. The humans are in charge of deciding what is fair, what they want, which is we want districts where neighbors vote with neighbors. It's a purely human decision. There is nothing mathematical behind it. It's just the society we want to live in. And now the machine is put in charge of implementing the choice of humans. And since the machine can be benchmarked, it can be Certified, it can be inspected by anybody. You eliminate all the aspects of chicanery and trickery behind the sheets, the scenes, because everybody will agree that this is the fair way to go about it, and you just let machine do it. While well, nobody would want a human to do it because you know that a human will will try to do something uh, a little bit different. Okay, so so this helps me draw this line, and we will see it later. Now, this is on face recognition. What can machines do? And so again, we have uh, good news. Um, this is a study that came out two years ago, or last year, in fact, by uh, Alice O'Toole from UTexas and other people. And they looked at how good are people at recognizing individuals. So we go back to the case of, of, uh, of the Cotton case. Um, and you see on the right, it's algorithms. And as, so uh, high is good on the scale, so towards the high is perfect. And the dots, the Los Angeles, are algorithms in 2015, 16, 17, and 17. And you see that progress has been quite fast. On the left, you have examiners from police forces. And they are trained specifically for doing this job. And you see two things. There are some who are really good at the top. But you also see that there are quite a few who are quite terrible. And you you don't know which one is which, right? You you go to a random police force, who knows if they know if they have a a proper examiner or not. And the average of the examiner is not as good as a machine. And in the middle, you have regular people, students from a campus, and they're not good at all. So that shows you that training counts for a lot here, and human experts are there for a reason. So here machines give a lot of value, and the authors of the study conclude if you want to have a good system, you must have a machine in place. And then it should be helped by a human because you also want a human to finally uh, give a final judgment. At least eliminate all the errors and make sure that it, you know, the machine is there to give you a safety net. Uh, this is another piece of good news. This is the NIST, which is our National Institute of Standards and Technology. And the NIST, unbeknownst to most of us, has started you know, a few years ago. A very rigorous program for benchmarking algorithms for face recognition again they recognize that this is a very important technology that has effects in society and in in many different branches of commerce so every six months they come out with a 300 page report that tells you for all the vendors that are there and there are hundreds of vendors you know how well do they perform and as of a couple of months ago they started putting out charts that also look at bias namely is there bias between men women Uh, African-Americans or Caucasians and hopefully they will put in more ethnic groups as time goes by and and again it's the usual limit is being able to collect good data sets and so here you see that there is a some bias but fairly small and the good news is African-American males which are a sensitive category as you will see in a moment uh, are are, perform much perform better by an order of magnitude so the false match rate is ten times less at least in this experiment With this data set so the good news is there is somebody watching and somebody is measuring bias and 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 slowly we are building transparency and trust through being able to measure and so at some point we'll flip around and we'll stop trusting humans and we'll I think we'll start trusting machines and things like that because we'll have numbers well for humans we don't have numbers right so okay that's good news now Machines have bias as we saw before and so it's very important as we build machines And So this is my job is to think about where is the bias coming from apart from measuring it? How can we improve the situation? And so let's look at a few situations. One is fairly obvious is the amount of training data So here this is data from one of my students Sara Biri She works on wild cams that take pictures of wild animals in the southwest of the US and in the Serengeti in Africa and classifies every animal by the species, and this is helpful for managing wildlife. And what you see here is that in the southwest of the U.S., there are very few badgers. That's the animal in top left, and so only five training examples. So the error rate is 80 percent. While there are lots of opossums, about 3,000 in the training set, and so their error rate is 2 percent. Okay, so if you are an opossum, you feel like the system is fantastic. If you're a badger, you say, I, I don't agree. I don't think it did. <laughs> nobody should use it because it's terrible and so how do you fix this? I mean society is a long tail distribution. We are, you know, if you divide us up into, into groups, there are some groups that are very small and some are very big and so this will happen. So what do you do, right? And the way to do it is uh, to invest and to be mindful and to think that there are people who have fewer Training examples and you try to collect more in that uh, category and you try to do a good job and you try to improve also the technology so that the systems become more efficient in learning but you know this is certainly something to watch for now some classes are easier prickly pear is very easy really lizard there are something like 10 species of lizard that look all the same to me and so it's very difficult to to make them out and so you need lots of training examples now there are funky correlations so here are We've seen um, deep deep fakes before, so these are synthetically generated faces. And what we're trying here to do is to generate a face that is in between male and female, you see it in the center of each strip, and then push towards male, and push towards female on the two sides, okay? So why do we do that? Let's not get into that for, for this talk. But what you see here is that there are some correlations. So the most obvious one is females tend to have long hair, and males tend to have short hair and a beard, right? So that's, it's not necessary to be a man to have a beard or to have short hair, but most of them are let that way. Now, another frankly correlation that you see is that females are younger and males are older. So why would that be? Well, because in the popular training sets you find, which are taken from celebrities, women reach starhood earlier than men. So there are more young women and more middle-aged men, In these data sets and so the data sets are biased in this way which is revealed by this exercise a third one is females smiling more and males smiling less you know why I don't know it's not that I'm unable to smile but uh, that's that's what you find and so so this sets your brain in motion if you train your systems with these data sets there may be some unwanted consequences that you we, we have to be aware of and so how do we Uh, Measure how do we discover these correlations? So it's lots of hard work that you have to put into it But of course the advantage is as soon as you figure it out you can correct it unlike humans And so we go back to the old lesson that machines are uh, scalable in, in their learning Now as we saw females tend to have longer hair males shorter hair So you have very few males with long hair very few females with short hair in the training sets and so if you look at Gender classification, it's more or less fine uh, when hair length is normal, but when hair length is atypical, then you have mistakes. Now it turns out there are very few males walking around with the hairdo you see on the right, you don't see almost anyone at this conference, and very few females on the left. Okay, now the question is, is this okay? Or should we work hard, you know, is the next investment to improve this aspect? Uh, and so it's up for us as a society to decide where we use money and what do we care about? Do we care about children with epilepsy or do we care about this or anything else? And so it's uh, um, it's a question Now <clears throat> the last um, Hard nut is that there are very different de- definitions of fairness and we should be aware of that So while bias is something we can measure fairness is in the eye of the beholder It's something that we hold deeply, but it's a construct and so let me show you an example of this, this is, it came out, it's a fairly well-known case, it came out uh, in the press three years ago. Uh, somebody analyzed, so there is an automated system for assessing whether someone who is in jail should be released uh, early, uh, given parole. And the way um, this is done is normally there is a three-member parole board, and they talk about it and they decide whether to let the person out. Now it turns out parole boards are somewhat inscrutable, and most prisoners say, I have no clue what they will do with me. And I have no way of controlling it and they feel very frustrated. So enter AI, people analyze the data and they try to predict from the CV of the of a prisoner whether they will reoffend or not. And so there is a machine uh, that does it, a, a piece of software. So somebody analyzed the data and realized that if you waited two years and you looked at what happened when people were left out of jail, And you look at people who had not re-offended, namely the good people who should have been left out. Well, amongst the whites, only 25% had been labeled high-risk, namely being kept behind. But amongst the African-Americans, half. Namely, half of the people who would not have done damage were kept in jail. That sounds very unfair, and it's different between the two ethnic groups, so it's very bad. And, And the opposite happens if you take the people who do commit a crime again, right? So this is... Heart-wrenching and you know in the press people came out very strongly saying we should stop this whole software thing This whole AI thing. Now the data was examined a couple of years later by a statistician at CMU, Alexandra Cholechova, and she Plotted it in a different way. She said well, let's suppose Let's take the score that the algorithm gives to these prisoners And let's see if the score which is predictive of whether we will offend if the score is biased And she finds that it's not biased at all. So that if you get a 10, uh, you're equally likely to be offended if you're white or African-American. And vice versa, and also if you get a four or a three, you know, your background, your ethnic background is is not uh, influencing the choice. So how is this possible that on one side it's completely unfair and on the other side it's perfectly fair? And the fact is that we are conditioning on two different things. Above we condition on what happens afterwards and below we condition on the score. And since the two populations are very different, the distribution of scores, uh, then you will get different results. So let me use an animation to go through this again. And so here I will use women and men. Women are light, men are darker. And again, we have a population of 18 people, nine women, nine men. And we uh, are assessing their risk. And so we find that nine men uh, got uh, sorry nine people got low risk zero. Uh, nine people got high risk one and It's well known that men tend to be more, you know end up more in jail so uh, it's not surprising that more men got the one than women and then we wait um, to see um, we wait to see what um, happens and we see that the algorithm predicted things in a fair way in the sense that on the left one-third of a man uh, got uh, unreasonably ca- uh, left out of jail but reoffended, and, one th- and two, one-third of a woman also. And on the right, it's two-thirds of a man and two-thirds of a woman got uh, kept in jail. So the, um, the system seems to have done a fair job. Women and men were treated fairly. It had only to do with their likelihood to reoffend. Um, now, you can rearrange uh, these and I didn't change anything. I just rearranged them into who offended and who didn't, not by the scores. And now if we count, you see that we get the unfair reading. So uh, four of the men, uh, or half of the men who did not reoffend offend got dinged, and only a fifth of the women. So it's very unfair towards the men. Okay. So now you saw that depending on which criterion of fairness we use, whether we use the the prior, namely let's see what the score is and let's go for the decision of the score, then there is no problem at all, that's what you have upstairs. While if we go to um, what happens afterwards, namely we divide people depending on what they did afterwards, we get a completely different picture, okay? So this says the fairness, you have to be very careful because you, can, you have different criteria of fairness and logical people will, will disagree and it turns out you can only have one fairness criterion satisfied at a time. You cannot have many different ones satisfied at a time. And so it's very important that society discusses this and that politicians vote and that we have a, um, a human-made decision here. There's no role for machines in this. Machines then can act upon it, but, uh, but the foundation, namely what should happen, is, should be in the hand of, of humans. Okay, last thing I want to talk about is explainability. And <clears throat> it's very important for us to know why a decision was made. And um, recently many of your companies had to deal with the European Union who was particularly vociferous about it and decided that um, you have to provide, um, so anyone who is the object of a decision should be given a reasonable explanation and so on. And so, um, so let's look at three cases and let's pit machines against humans. Let's see who wins. Um, parole cases and so it turns out that again as I was saying before prisoners complain that uh, parole boards are inscrutable Uh, there is a computer scientist from uh, Duke Cynthia Rudin and her team looked at the same data that we talked about before the prisoners and synthesized the simplest possible set of rules using machine learning simplest possible set of rules that give you the same performance as the best possible classifier and as you can see out of about 125 features that you can look at in the, in the records of a prisoner, she said only three matter, really. It's age, sex, and prior offenses. And here is the rule. If age is 18 or 20 and the sex is male, then keep them behind bar, no matter what. You know, if young males, just keep them behind bar. Uh, if, which, you know, sounds like it matches your intuition. Uh, if, <laughs> If, uh, by the way, I have teenage children, so I'm, uh, I'm, I'm a little bit worried. So if age is 21, 22, and, and there are prior offenses, then keep them in, in jail. If priors are, prior offenses are more than three, then sorry. Otherwise, let them go. So, so here I feel AI has done a good job. It's a bit of luck that uh, Cynthia has this method for synthesizing very simple classifier. It turned out it worked this way. And now, um, if I were a prisoner and would have to choose between a parole board or Cynthia's rules, I would say I go with Cynthia's rule. At least I know what's going to happen, right? So, so this is one, um, one case where I think machines are doing better than human. And I you know I'm not an expert, so don't take my word. Just do your reading and uh, um, driving, something that we do every day. On the strategy part, you know, which itinerary do we take? This is me going from Pasadena to UCLA. Um, I find that machines are superior. If you take, get onto a taxi, say, which way will you go? Well, you know, I'll take four or five. Why? Well, you know, at this time, probably blah, 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 not terribly convincing. Well, the machine gives you a perfect map with all the traffic and so on, you trust it. On the tactics, you know, I stop because there is a red light, there is a pedestrian. Both machines and humans have the same token. They all pay attention to the same things. They're able to verbalize them the same way. I think that there is a tie there. A third case, so this is explaining what is there in a picture. Machines are, are still not doing very well. Humans can answer almost any question. They can motivate it and so on. I feel like here humans are far superior in explaining uh, the content of a picture or you know why something happened from a single picture and so on. So there are many cases in which humans are far superior to machines. So I think that they, you, can, you can go either way. Um, and certainly my field is working really hard to Improve explainability, and so here again, I'm somewhat optimistic that with time we'll see more and more progress. Okay, so just uh, to summarize, what are the advantages of machines and people? So, improving at scale, certainly machines are much, much better than people. Explainability, well, you know, both sides are <laughs> to be improved, um, but certainly machines can improve more in some sense than people. I'm, I'm optimistic. Uh, what's easier to regulate? I think it's easier to regulate machines. You can audit the software. You can benchmark them, uh, and you can put very stringent laws, and people people are squishy. They're difficult to, to regulate sometimes. But who can define what is fair and what is unfair? Well, certainly that's the job of people. So this somehow gives us a sense for what are the boundaries between things that we should expect in the, in the future. And so the last, you know, what am I with uh, what am I with my outlook? And so you, have, you hear people saying AI is magic or AI is dangerous, you should avoid it and so on. So these are all oversimplified statements. What they can say is AI is useful and handle with care, work on it, and things will hopefully improve a lot, but always keep a, a, your eyes open. And so my, my current position is this one. Okay, thank you.